This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey there, Robbie here. Coming up on this episode of the Offscript podcast, we're in conversation with one of the all-time greats in women's tennis. Kim Clijsters was recently out in Dubai to take part in an exhibition match over at Expo 2020 against another former world number one in the shape of Caroline Wozniacki. And we managed to chat to Kim about a very eventful career. She's retired twice, she's come back twice, and now at the age of 38, she's pondering her next move in the sport. What was it like for Kim to achieve success early? Early on in her life psychologically how did she deal with retiring and then coming back and how did she cope with the pressure placed on her as a world number one some fascinating insight this from a legend in the sport of tennis it's off script in conversation with kim Kleisters. the big interview with off script there's an awful lot to unpack with this because kim Kleisters' story is one that will resonate with an awful lot more people than just your sporting and tennis aficionado. It's a human story. Yes, it Chris. is. She's, she was the first woman from Belgium to reach world number one, and she's 38 years of age now, contemplating her next move as she sort of ponders whether to play on or whether to officially retire and, and focus on other things in her life. So, essentially, to set the scene, two years ago, she announced a second comeback, having initially first retired from the sport at the tender age of just 23. She then proceeded to get married. She had a child. Eventually, she would return to tennis two years later before retiring again in 2012. Eight years after that, she launched a second comeback right here in Dubai at Transpired, a first-round loss to Garbina Muguruza. And over the course of this interview, she's going to talk about what it was like to achieve success so early in life and deal with that. She's going to offer her thoughts on what Emma Raducanu the superstar of the moment is currently going through and she also paints a vivid picture of what it's like to win a Grand Slam, Chris. So I, I hope you're going to enjoy I will. this interview. First, though, let's start with that comeback match against Muguruza in Dubai. What are her recollections of that? I remember the first set I played against Muguruza was a night match. I remember being under the lights again at a night session. It was I couldn't see. I could, uh, it was so bright and I just felt like my timing of was yeah was off and but um but then in the second set I started playing better and I felt like you know things were starting to fall into place and it was a, like a nice feeling so to be like someone like you as experienced as you are you still got kind of I guess well, what, what would you even call it? Not stage fright person. No, no, like it wasn't a, a fear. It was just, yeah, everything had to adjust again. I think my eyesight had to adjust. I had to learn how to read my opponent again. Um, you know, things that were so kind of on automatic pilot. Yeah, like were something that I never even had to think about. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, yeah, I have to read my game. I have to... You know, read my opponent and I had to kind of make myself very aware of keep repeating things and, and more conscious whereas before it was almost without thinking about it I just did it very naturally and um, so those were the things that I felt like oh okay so I was very motivated after that to to kind of go on to the next which was Indian Wells and I had a good you know couple of weeks before and um, to, to get ready and and was hitting the ball great and felt like you know my knee was also because I had a little in- knee injury at the end of the year, of the year before that and and then Indian Wells didn't and happen. then Indian Wells didn't happen <laughs> and then the whole world shut down uh, and and her her comeback plan which had been so carefully kind of thought through was suddenly it was off you know that no one played tennis for the professionals didn't play I think that, apart from the Adria Tour until much later on in, into the autumn and um, her comeback plans were put on hold and once tennis did return the bubble system didn't work for her as a mother with kids yeah. traveling as a family unit so as a result she's barely played and at 38 it kind of begs the question where is her head at now and it 
It also led on to a question that I had about why she first retired at the age of 23. There's a stubbornness in me that is like, shall I try one more time? Or am I just going to be like I was doing before I decided to play, go back to you know, playing some Legends events, doing events like this? Because I also feel that you know, for my tennis to be improving, I have to play a lot of tournaments. And that's tough just as a mom. And, and you know, my kids are older. My daughter's 14 now. I can't take, him, take her anymore like we did you know, back in 2009, 2010, where, when we were traveling as a family of three and just, yeah. Explain what motivated your first decision to, because you retired in, now correct me if I'm wrong here, I think it was 2007, seven, was it? Seven, I think, yeah, seven. What, what Was that just simply to have a family and to, to, in the, in the yeah, acknowledgement that you could do I think do also the build-up, you know, um, you know, Although you, you don't, I wasn't a professional tennis player for 15, 20 years then yet, but I, I had played tennis for that long, right? And, and at, a, at an intense kind of routine, and I loved it. You know, there were moments, of course, that I kind of wanted to have a break from it all, and sometimes it wasn't possible. But I think me quitting the first time at a young age, I think I was only 23 or 24, was, was a combination of the intense lifestyle um, of it all, um, being in a spotlight that I'm not a person who, I don't, it doesn't feed me, it doesn't drive me to, to, to do more of it, um, in contrary, actually. Um, and um, so that became all very, very intense to deal with. And, and then I felt like I was kind of, yeah, not enjoying, I wasn't happy, I wasn't, People must have been shocked when you, I mean, at that, at that age, when you were at the top of your game, there must, there must the reaction I mean, so must have was been I. shocked. So was I. But I, you know, as tennis players from a young age, and I think any athlete, really, from a young age, you learn to listen to your body and you learn to, to kind of everything that, you know, your coach asks you, how did that feel? How did you, you know, so we learn as, as, on a very young age to, to listen to, yeah, to, to, to your body and, and you learn to, to read yourself and read your opponents and then read your mental mindset during matches and... And I just felt like I just wasn't mentally capable of practicing the amount of hours that I had to practice to play the best tennis. And it, when I wasn't doing that, I felt like I wasn't being, you know, the professional athlete that I had to be. So, um, was it mental burnout in that case? Maybe a think? little bit, yeah. And the combination of a couple injuries, then also the, the, you know, the, the attention all of a sudden that that comes along. And then I don't know. Sometimes I wonder. It, I mean, the timing of it was almost perfect, um, I, which I didn't know back then. But then my dad also got really sick and he passed away. Um, but, yeah, I think the timing of it almost seemed like it, ha- it had to be that way. And it felt very natural to me. I wasn't forcing anything. I wasn't – I just felt like I couldn't do it. And I just listened to my, to my gut and listened to – yeah – Candid stuff there from Kim on why she first retired at 23, she retired. I mean, that speaks to a kind of reasons behind that are, are deeper than just, yeah. you know, no there, was, there, was, there was some mental issues going on that she alluded to. Yeah, there. I mean, listen, mental issues that I don't think we'll ever, ever get to the bottom of or, or can really understand when you are front and centre, when you've got the world spotlight, when you've got millions upon millions that are watching your every move. Yeah, but the thought of being retired at 23 is just... It's staggering. Well, she didn't stay retired. After a two-year hiatus, having had a family, having gotten married, she decided to come back to full-time tennis, and it was natural to ask her why. 
There was even a little, like a little bit of like an embarrassment when I started feeling like I wanted to come back because I, you know, I, I just retired and right. I, so I was kind of like, eh. so actually, guys, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I, I kind of felt like that, but then um, after I had Jada, I think through, yeah, a few months after I got an invitation to um, to play at Wimbledon when they um, announced uh, or when when the center court had the opening of the roof. I got an invitation, and and it was for me to play with Tim Henman against Steffi Graf and Andre Agassi, and I was like, really? Like that's like my my dream to be able to play. You know, I played Steffi at Wimbledon once, and um, uh, in competition, did you? in competition. So my first Wimbledon, um, I think it was 1999, was her last Wimbledon, and I played. Um, I played Steffi in. I think it was I qualified and I made the fourth round. And uh, lost to Steffi. It was like a two, three day match. Rained a lot. And, yeah. So it was like an amazing experience for me to just walk next to her from the locker room to court one under in the tunnel. And she was your idol, right? Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. I just. So when I got that leather, the letter to go play there, I was like, I have to do this, you know, and I just started hitting, I started preparing and, and I was like, oh, this is, this is fun. I can still, you know, hit a decent ball. Yeah. So then I was, I kind of waited a little, I think I waited two or three weeks before I even told anybody because I didn't want it to be like, you know, maybe I was going to feel the same way as I did, you know, a couple of years before. And, and, but it didn't, I didn't, I, I just felt so motivated and so ready and hungry. And I was able to have my husband and, and our daughter travel with us. And, um, yeah, and very, um, it felt re- like it, it all felt right. So we started talking about early success and dealing with that at a young age, you know, when you get it and we see it in all sports, how do you manage how your life changes so dramatically with continued pursuit of excellence? It's it's the sort of ultimate conundrum, isn't it? And uh, what was Kim's perspective on dealing with pressure and expectation in her early 20s? Now that I'm older, I can look back on kind of the career that I've had, right? And and as a, I guess, more mature and, and older person, looking back at you know, when I played my first French Open final against against uh, Jennifer Capriati, I think I was two points away from winning, um, but I didn't. And at the time, I was kind of disappointed because you come so close. But I'm so relieved now that that it didn't happen then yet, because it's still a Grand Slam, right? And you like it's a building block. It, it yeah, I felt like how important that process for me was to to mentally prepare myself. To, to be pushed, to be triggered, to learn, to be become more professional, to become a smarter tennis player, to yeah, to just become a more mature person, and and it almost was impossible for me to to deal with it in the right way, and um, without you know feeling extra pressure when you're out there the next time because you do you know even when you're 24 and you win your first Grand Slam the next time you go to a tournament you feel a little bit more pressure and and it's you, you put that upon yourself too but it's also every press conference that you go to people you get confronted with you know oh so what are you what do you think you're gonna do like we expect you to go you know you could go to the semifinals here my situation was like oh we can see you know you're gonna play justine in the semis if you get that that was at the start of the tournament and and you're also thinking if you're just in some run-of-the-mill wta match and you're losing that match and you're thinking hang on a minute i'm the u.s open champion that's going to affect your your mentality and your your kind of mental calibration yeah but that's why i felt like for me i lost my first four grand slam finals that i played i lost all four of them so it was the French Open against Jennifer and then three against Justine. And, but I had to lose those for, for me to be able to win one because yeah. I felt like mentally I just wasn't ready. It was too big of an of a, of a emotional 
deal for me to be able to, to be a Grand Slam champion. And although I really wanted it, I, I know I wasn't ready to, to handle it the right way. Which leads us on to the question, what winning a Grand Slam really feels like mm. to the athlete? Having lost four finals, how sweet did it feel? I put that question to Kim. So I think my 2009 win after I had Jada was, was really special because, you know, like I said before, my, I lost my dad and, and then I had Jada there. So that whole situation was very impactful for me. Unbelievable how that, yeah, how everything fell into place. It's unbelievable. Like if you talk about like how that happens or if you look for that or like I didn't look for it. It just, it almost was meant to be like that. It, it, that's what it felt like. I remember after the match at night sitting, um, after you do all your press and everything, you, so I was sitting, we were trying to find some food in New York City <laughs> with, with the team. And I mean, it was like 2.30 in the morning. Not much was open. There was like, like some pubs that were open, but they had like no proper food. And I just was exhausted. And so and I just sat outside against like the building. And I just, and it was like quiet and looking up at the buildings. And I was thinking of like, what just happened? Like it's, it's because you're so in that zone and that bubble the whole time that it hits you then. And I just started crying. And I just, I remember sitting there with my husband and I was like, what just happened? Like, it's, 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 I just love the fact that the US Open champion can't find anywhere to <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we did and I'm sure other people can, but we started walking around and we wanted to just have a drink all together and. Yeah, but I was just so exhausted. and it just, it's, it's the enormity of it must just be impossible, actually, to I, process. It, it is so weird. It's, and, and I think it's also the combination of the expectation that you've had as a kid of, of, oh, my God, that has to be the greatest thing that you can ever do. And then when it actually happens, I remember in, in, um, in 2005, after my first U.S. Open win, I was go back to my room. I'm in the room by myself. And we're leaving the next day, and I'm sitting on the ground with just my suitcase in front of me. I'm folding all my clothes, and I'm, like, I remember just sometimes like putting my clothes away and just sitting there thinking, like, this is it. Yeah. Like, I, I just won my first Grand Slam, and this is it. And I, it's such a weird, like, because the next day you go on the plane, and you're, you know, and then all of a sudden when, when I got to Belgium, there's people at the airport, and, and okay, you have all that stuff. But it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a process that is... Um, you, you can't prepare for at all amazing i thought that you know actually it's in, in a weird way it's, it's enormous and impossible to fathom but in the other in another way it's just a kind of another evening where you've still got to pack your suitcase exactly at the end that. of the night well, right that's, exactly that's what all these sportsmen and women say they are still despite the fact we build the, these guys up to be demigods they are ultimately still human beings they still have to do all the stuff that you and I have to do Robbie as well Emma Raducanu I couldn't help but ask him about of Emma of course you could given how similar Emma's the early the early start to Kim's career was to what Emma is going through right now so what of uh, Miss Raducanu and her journey I wanted to get Kim's perspective on that I think we've seen a little bit um, with Naomi Osaka what it can do when when your life changes kind of in a split second um and they both have uh, incredible profiles right they're so popular around the world different continents and and so the amount of attention and um sponsor deals is is huge but it's almost impossible to combine it to, with, with being a professional athlete and then it's it's important to have really good people around you good you know managers and yeah your team parents who can really guide you and say okay this is this is enough we we're making choices smart choices of of 
how far do we go in this? And um, and because it is, you know, it's a world where, you know, a lot of a lot of people come from, you know, not having a lot of money and really traveling the world with with trying to make ends meet, and then all of a sudden, there's a ton of money and opportunities, and and you can you can kind of overdo it i think and i think that's really important to to know and and to think long term a little bit as well and think okay you know but it's, it's easier said than done right because it's you get these opportunities and chances patience is a difficult commodity to kind of show no one wants to show certainly in media no one's no one's prepared to be patient no. and the players probably aren't really either no they... but if you look at you know how long some of the careers can be these days you know and and you know, with, be with taking, in the road. there is, and everybody has those, right? Every player has those, but it would be a shame to see her get burned out already. You know, at a, at a, at a young age, um, because of outside factors. But I'm sure she has a good team around her, and I know Tim Henman. He was at the U.S. Open. I talked to him a little bit, and and to her coach at the time, and um, you know, they all seemed very. Tim is, you know, and, and, and Andy also, they, they have so much experience. So, um, but I think also to get back to your questions, like there's a lot, enough players, women on tour who've been in those situations and who she can easily go and talk to if she would need the advice or if she's open to do that. And, and, uh, which is what, what I've really enjoyed when I, when I started playing well is, is, you know, you have women like Billie Jean King and Martina Navratilova, Lindsay Davenport, you know, they all, they're super nice to, to talk to you and give you experience and share you know information and so um yeah that that's really helped me and that's what i try to do for you know whoever needs it i wonder if that culture still exists on tour i wonder if emma is approaching someone like simona Halep. i, I somehow doubt it because i think that managers get so involved now you never know of course we don't know what goes on inside the dressing rooms but uh I think perhaps that particular kind of culture of leaning on your sort of senior peers. senior peers, maybe, maybe maybe that's fizzled out. But just a quick final thought from Kim on her future. And she did admit that she was inspired watching a certain Rafael Nadal defy father time in Australia. And when you see Rafa and, you know, doing what he did at the Australian Open so and like I, I didn't miss a ball, you know, on TV and on my phone, actually, I watched so the whole good. thing. <laughs> Tennis is just the best it's sport when it's that that's, good. Oh, my God. That's what I tweeted. And I got like a lot of people were like, oh, <laughs> 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 um, but um, that's how I felt exactly like that. There's nothing better than what yeah. we saw there. And oh. one against one, no distractions no coaches interfere you know two warriors going at it yeah. just seeing yeah how i always said like tennis is you can win on three levels you have the the tennis part of it but you have the physical and the mental right mm. and you can't just win it with one and that was the perfect example of seeing how he mentally and physically broke somebody down and yeah. at 35 at 35 because incredible medvedev was the better tennis player you know the first two sets and yeah, it was amazing to see. So, um, you got a hunch on who's going to finish this the, the, in the men's game? A, I always thought I mean, Djokovic now, personally. Yeah, but I, I thought so too. But this whole, you know, situation. the pandemic thing has kind of, yeah. And now with with the French Open coming up and and seeing how motivated Rafa is again, like hearing him talk about, you know, how excited and like this motivates him and to be playing like this and now come you know his favorite event coming up not knowing can Novak play or not or I don't know has that been decided yet or if he's not there for Rafa that could be you know getting to, to 22 um, 
would be incredible. And that's the thing. I feel like nobody's really talked about Rafa being the greatest, right? It's like Novak or Roger. Like it's one of the two. And it's, I don't know, it's because he's won so many of his, his slams on clay. And to me, there's also something I love the way Roger plays. And I've, you know, if you want to explain it to the kids in the academy, like you look at Roger and it's technique wise and it's so smooth and everything. But with Rafa, like when I when when you sit like on the court and you see him practice and you see him, there's such an intensity and there's that that yeah I don't know his his character that and his, the emotions that he shows is something that I really love. Like he really draws you in. I feel, and um, it's going to be very very interesting. Oh my god! Good analysis of very the big good. three from Kim Kleister's there, and, and great to catch up with her. Yeah, great stuff and exclusive that for us. Kim Kleister's four-time Grand Slam champion, former world number one we wish her well whatever it is that she gets up to next the off script podcast we hope that you enjoyed this episode please do go ahead and click subscribe you can also check out our other podcasts time capsule or the big interview find it wherever you get your podcasts 